Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombus donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombus.com/acast code acast. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite media. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Perez, several one of several lore-focused folks from the site, uh, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? I am stupendous. Fear me. <laughs> well, that is relevant to today because we're going to be talking about orcs. Now, some of you at home uh, may be thinking that we're going to be talking about Warcraft orcs, and we probably will to a certain extent. Uh, but this was actually spawned by a reader and listener who sent in a question that I decided, you know what, we haven't had an off-topic in a while. Let's do an off-topic because I want to talk about 40k orcs because I love 40k orcs. So I'm going to start by reading the question, and then we're going to launch into things. So this one comes from Corn, and it's uh, <laughs> I love this opening. It's a me, a Cornio. So I've been doing my research on WoW orcs versus Warhammer orcs, and I'm sad to discover that Joe lied, or at least told a half truth when he said that 40k orcs are fungi. They are part fungi, according to the lore sources I found, and thus they have a ridiculous amount of durability because instead of internal organs, they often have big sacs or fungus, and they still and they still explode into spores when they die. But they also have some animal mean based physiology, still eat meat and such. So. My question is, why didn't Blizzard keep this when they made their orcs? Uh, would it have get, would it have gotten them sued? Were they just grossed out by the spore spreading fungus orcs? While we're at it, Tolkien's version of orcs is actually surprisingly derivative. He basically stole the name from the from Old English, and it was used for both sea monsters, the root of the word orca, are related, as well as the definition of orca in Latin as a cask or big barrel. And an ogre-like monster, the name Orco, has been used for big ogre things in medieval Italy. So it is just that nobody is able to write about orcs without simultaneously ripping off every previous orc depiction, and yet also making up some crazy butt theory like they're made of fungus, or they drank demon blood, or they were made using the blood of Cain—an actual old English idea, or what have you. 
Orcs are a weird thing in media and have been for a very long time because they're always representative of usually some perversion or uh, some form of great evil, uh, whether they're mutated elves in some uh, writing, whether they are the slain brought back to life in a uh, twisted parody, not quite undead, but definitely not human anymore, but still can retain the humanoid fantasies. Yeah, I had a I had a English teacher. I remember this from college. It was very, remember the, the, the discussion and someone brought up Tolkien and they were talking about it. And he goes, orcs are the useful idiots of fantasy. Yeah, they really are. They're, they're the, you know, do I need a monster that is, you know, certainly terrifying, but not dragon sized. Uh, it's, it's much like if you look in, in like the, like folk and fairy tale type stuff, the red cap mm-hmm. is very orcish. In terms of its role, it's it's a fey creature, but it's you know a hideous you know shark toothed red head stared stained with blood type monster type thing. That that's something that comes up over and over again. The reason that you've got like this person mentioned uh, Tolkien's orcs being derivative. The reason that that is is because he went back to like you know old English and even pre English sources. Like or, the word orc is used in Beowulf to describe uh, Grendel and his mother. Um, I think it's like Orcius, uh, blah, 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 blah. I went to look this up. Yeah. The demon corpse mm-hmm. uh, was used for a couple of times in Beowulf. That's what they call it. The, the demon, the demon corpses, uh, or Nia, uh, O R C dash N E A S. And it's, they're also like, there's one point where I believe the, the epithet like hell, hell diver or something mm-hmm. is used. Uh, I don't remember exactly what it is. But yeah, it's like, it's also pretty much, I, I know that they're used this way in, in Tolkien and they are in a lot of other sources. The word orc and the word goblin are interchangeable. Yeah. So like in old English, I think it was Latin orcus, right? Orcus was also used to be uh, interchanged with goblin, specter, hell devil, and basically and the underworld, yeah. and the underworld in general, right? Because orcus was the name for Pluto because mm-hmm. you didn't say Pluto because, you know, you would get his attention. So orcus was the title you used. Um, and in, when it got into old English, yeah, absolutely. It got used for all that stuff. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Right. But so as we move into modern writing, modern mythology, and yes, every real world mythology has an orc or a goblin or something in it at some point, uh, whether it's by that name or a different name, th- this type of creature exists, right? It's just a thing. Um, but in writing it, it's carried over and has evolved. And yes, they all are sort of derivative because almost invariably they are meant to be the same thing. This is one of the reasons why I like 40 K orcs because while they have sort of that jester quality to them, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more, their creation and what they are is different to what other mythologies usually have them in. I think the closest example really is Tolkien where they are used as part of the, the war machine. And when you start getting the Aurochs, but you know, Tolkien has his own problems and we'll probably talk about that as well. So in 40 K I didn't lie. Right. So the problem with orcs in general is until recently, and, and we're talking like maybe the last handful of years, I'd say eight years at most, All of the orc mythology was based entirely around whatever was written from the Imperium's perspective. In fact, most of the orc's origin was done in a 2006 book called Ordo Xenos, which was literally a book about an inquisitor and members of the Imperium dissecting various Xenos races to try to figure out what they were. 
this is where the orcs are fungus comes from. Now, you are correct in that orcs are sort of a synthesis of animal and fungi, but there is another reason for that that we now know. Back in ye olden days, there is this thing called the War in Heaven. There is an ancient race of uh, creatures that essentially are thought to be the first sentient race in Warhammer 40k that settled the Milky Way, the old ones. The old ones colonized, created life. Sound familiar to another game we play, doesn't it? Um, they created things that would eventually become the Eldari, they cre- which are elves, space elves, essentially. They created the things that would become the Slan, which were lizard-like folks that served them at a very high level, uh, which some folks may remember in Warhammer Fantasy as Lizardmen or Seraphon, which had their roots in Warhammer 40,000. Uh, and then you had the ape-like creatures on old Earth that eventually grew up to be humans. They had a war essentially between them and another humanoid race that wanted to be broken out from under them called the Necrontier. Now, we know them today as the Necrons, and they served something called the Catan or the Star Gods. The Star Gods were things that were created at the dawn of the universe and represented it, represented different sort of extreme ideals of emotion or power, whether it was the great deceiver or whether it was the, the night bringer or whatever it was. They were manifestations of extremes. Does this also sound familiar? Maybe in order to fight this war, the old ones created what they called the corks giant brutish figures that did not have any form of gender were absolutely massive, were incredibly skilled, had no psychic power whatsoever, or uh, really any real ability to do anything with the warp on a massive scale. And the reason for that is because in 40 K doing so attracts the attention of various other creatures, such as Tyranids, which are being brought into this the universe by this gigantic psychic beacon that sits at the center of uh, human-owned Imperium space, looking at you, the Golden Throne, uh, or it attacks the attention of the old gods of chaos. So they didn't want them to do that, right? But they needed them to be the perfect foot soldiers, so they created them in sort of this, again, like you pointed out, this synthesis of animal and fungus. They would go out into the world, or the universe, they would wage their wars, and if they died, they would explode into those those fungi spore sacks, where they would then basically grow into more army. The army was self-sustaining. Now, everything went fine and dandy until eventually the Catan uh, and the Necrontier won their war against the Old Ones and forced them out of the Milky Way, forced them out of the known universe that we, we accept as existing. The Orcs, however were bred to never die and were supposed to be around forever. So they continued to evolve. They continued to exist in a universe. So whenever they were on a planet that, you know, basically the Necron had had completely expunged all orc life, well, maybe in a generation or two, smaller versions of the corks popped up. And then over time, smaller versions of corks popped up. Also sound maybe a little familiar with what we're used to seeing in WoW. They eventually became the orcs that we have today, which all they know about is how to fight. But the interesting thing is they are still very much a colony of fungus with that animal DNA sprinkled into it because they were genetically engineered by an ancient massive civilization, you know, whatever. But everything in orc society, everything that lives is born of that same materials, uh, whether it is Gretchen, whether it is Snotlings, uh, whether it is the squigs, the squigoths. 
And the interesting thing is they still retain some of their old school genetics. If they live long enough, they continue to grow. And as they continue to grow, they get smarter, which is really interesting because their intelligence is directly correlated to their size. Now, there are subdivisions within orc culture, and I want to go into those real quick uh, just because I find it fascinating. You have your rank and file orcs, which are divided into clans, and each clan has sort of their specialty, whether it is they like going really, really fast, they're really good at sneaking around, maybe they just really, really are lucky, or they have that blue stick that they carry with them that just gives them that extra benefit of luck. Maybe they just really like shooty things, and they're really, really honed in on that, uh, and some of them just really like raising giant squigs to ride on to, ride on to battle like dinosaurs. They all have their specialty, but in each of those are certain stratifications. There's the war boss, which is the biggest, fightiest, meaniest orc. Then there is the the weird boys, which are, they're capable of harnessing some psychic energy, but the interesting, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but it's not to the same level as everything else in the universe. You have mech boys, which have a certain genetically predisposed memory. So that's the other thing that's interesting. All of these orcs have a genetic memory that passes down through the generations where as they essentially evolve into a fully formed orc, they know their specialty. They don't need to be trained it. They just know it. So mech boys will create these giant mechs and they'll cobble things together. And that's just because that's the way that their particular coding works. You have some that be grow up to be a little bit smaller and those are Gretchen or, uh, there, there's been a bunch of different names for them over the years. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on, though. Yes. Um, isn't there, like, isn't, like, one of the the orc chieftains actually kind of had a deal with his war chief that he would, like, bring him back even if he died? And then every time he brought the guy back, he was noticing he was a little smaller because so, the guy doing the, the resing was actually taking pieces of him and using them inside his own body. And eventually, when he figured it out and tried to kill the dude he lost because the guy had been doing it for so long that he was now like twice the size of his, his actual leader. And then he became leader. I, I seem to recall this. that. That was one story. Yeah. That is not the, um, the, but I'm saying that they can do that. They, they can, can do literally that. They can, they can graft onto each other. Yeah, they, they absolutely can. And they can also eat each other and grow in strength as a result of it. Um, it's also why they can take implants so well. Uh, you'll find if they lose a limb, they don't grow it back. They just shove a metal limb into it and it just works because their body is sort of meant to graft onto it. Uh, it is an interesting, uh, <laughs> it's an interesting mix. Like, for example, one of the, the biggest, fightiest, smartiest of the orcs that exist currently is Gazkrill Thraka. He is the only one that can actually command all of the orcs to do stuff. He is the smartest. He has a deal with the orc gods, uh, Gork and Mork, which is a whole other thing. Their pantheon revolves around two orcs. One is very fighty and clever. The other one is very clever and fighty. Don't ask. Um, but he has actually gone back in time. He's killed himself in the past and assumed his own life. It gets really, really weird. Orcs are phenomenal in this regard. They are just the ultimate. You can do whatever the heck you want with them in 40K. Uh, but the stratification in their society is from the biggest down to the smallest, if society is on a planet that doesn't have a need for immediate warriors, they will fight amongst themselves. And as they're doing that, smaller ones will pop up and their purpose is to tend to the needs of the larger ones. So they'll go through, they'll farm 
squigs or they'll, which are used for food and warfare. Um, squigs are also made of the same exact material. They just happen to be little bowling balls of, uh, teeth and gnashing and violence that they prod into battle. Um, <laughs> and essentially those Gretchen are goblins to the orcs. They're the smaller version. And there are smaller versions even beyond that, that they call snotlings that are mostly useless, um, but are very, very tiny and very good at getting into uh, small places. And they use them to work on like giant mechs and things like that. Now, the other thing, interesting thing about 40 K works is going back to the psychic powers. Unlike other races, they don't really have a large array of psychic powers. They do have psychers and they use the power to manipulate the warp and cast very simple spells. But the more orcs you have in a place, the more powerful it is. They operate off of a collective belief system. Now, this is an old school thing that has been toned down a little bit, but you'll hear me and Corey talk about this if we're on like in the same room. If an orc believes that a red vehicle will move faster than another vehicle around it, it can will it into existence. And so the color red will actually make them go faster. If they believe that the color purple is a stealthier color, they will if they're painting themselves purple, they will be better at being stealthy. If they believe blue is lucky, they'll be able to hit better or survive better. It, and the more of them they are that believe this, the more powerful that becomes. Now, in the olden days, and the Imperium would actually try to find orc vehicles and, const- and const- constructs and things like that and pull them apart to find out how they work, only to find that vehicles didn't have engines or gas or oil. Their weapons didn't have bullets in the magazines, but the orcs believed they did and collectively willed those things into existence. Now, they've walked that back a little bit, but in my heart, I like to believe that they're held together with hope and sunshine and bubblegum because it's very, very, very funny. They are one of the most diverse and interesting versions of an orc, in my opinion, in current day storytelling. Now, I don't know if you have an opinion on them. Matt at all, besides knowing that some of them are big and fighty and some of them can graft themselves onto each other. But what do you think about 40 K orcs? I mean, it's, it's an interesting variation on the basic concept, which I've, I've, while you've been talking about them, I've been listening to you, but I've also been looking at the origin of the word and it's, it's evolution through English over the past couple thousand years. Uh, Basically, like I said, like my professor said a long time ago, orcs are useful idiots in fantasy. Um, and what he doesn't mean necessarily that they're stupid, but they serve kind of the role of, if you look at Warhammer 40k or you know, even original Warhammer fantasy role-playing uh, book or, you know, the original Warhammer minis, you know, games, uh, orcs serve a role in that they're kind of, I don't want to say the starter army, but they kind of are. They're the lowest barrier to entry because you can do whatever you want with them. And because they like, you you don't like the highest up most powerful orc can do a lot more than say your average orc, but he's still an orc. Uh, In a way it is very reminiscent of the way Tolkien used them in that you've got the the Uruk high and then you've got the, you know, the ones who are basically just goblins or whatever, but they all basically serve that role is that they are ultimately cannon fodder being used by other forces. Um, in Tolkien, for example, uh, you know, Sauron and below him, uh, uh, Saruman, you basically using the orcs, uh, to, as, as cannon fodder, but in 40 K they're cannon fodder, but they're not predictable cannon fodder. Mm-hmm. 
Like they're not anybody's cannon fodder. They're their own cannon fodder. And they're like, it's not like they have a grand plan wherein, you know, the, the lives of orcs will be spent like water. It's just that that's what they do is they go places and spend life like water. Um, and then collect and, the teeth and use it as currency. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's like you mentioned the Tyranids and the Necrons. These, there are like a lot of, I, I don't want to say, I don't know what to call it, forces. I, there's a lot of people in the Warhammer 40K in particular who are like these dread, malevolent forces mm-hmm. from beyond the cosmos. And for all that the orcs' origin is with the old ones, it's like they are not the beings that the old ones made. No. They're they far have, removed from it. They've gone along this completely whacked out evolutionary path. Um, I feel like you should talk more about Weird Boys because Weird Boys are where they get really interesting. It's not just the kind of collective unconsciousness aspect of it, which is very reminiscent of, say, Magic, the, you know, the Mage, the Ascension or whatever. The idea of like being able to create your own reality. It, it's You hear it every day. You know, I reject your reality and, and substitute my own. But for humans, that just leads up with pandemics being spread because people won't listen to science. With orcs, it actually works to a degree. But it's it's also kind of like the largest living thing on Earth right now is fungus. Mm-hmm. It's a gigantic underground yep. fungus collective. And a lot of plants uh, have symbiotic relationships with fungus that lives in its root systems and can communicate with fungus in other plants' root systems. There's kind of like this theory right now that there's this giant fungus internet out there of all these yeah, giant the, the, fungus the, fung- the fungal network yeah i remember yeah. reading that that paper yeah like all these giant fungus entities and then the little fungus that connects all these plants all spread around throughout the world wherever there's like you know soil that's suitable for it and that's kind of the way orcs work but without any it's not like they're trying to do it yes yeah, so- like if if something horrible is going on in the warhammer universe let's say an army of Tyranids has attacked like a, a human planet and the humans are getting wiped out. Sometimes orcs will just show up. Yeah. So that's the interesting thing. I want to, I, I can talk about that a little bit more. So the orcs sort of feel a pull to these sort of things instinctually. Now orcs don't technically have spaceships. They have either ships that they've stolen from other races and have like cobbled together, like, found a space Hulk and decided to make like a derelict shipped in space or an old one that crashed into a planet and have, and the mech boys have converted it to be able to function or enough of them believe that it functions. So it's able to fly through space. Otherwise they just hurdle rocks through space and with they them hold, on them. with them on them. They like, if you've ever seen starship troopers with like the asteroids landing on the planet, that's the old orcs drop ship. And they still kind of do that to the day. But the thing is they don't even understand why they're doing it. And in all of the books that you read, they just feel this great pull towards wherever battles are happening. There is a story like Matt's pointing out where like the Tyranids will show up to a human planet and the humans are like, they're dying in droves. The, the Imperial guard or the Adepta uh, Militarum or Astra Militarum now uh, can't keep up with it. And the orcs are being pulled to this great conflict and they don't understand why. And then the humans see these things raining down from the sky and they think, oh, thankfully, it's the Emperor's Chosen. It's the the Space Marines and their drop pods coming to save us from this Tyranid force. And it turns out, no, it's just the orcs. They just want to fight. They just showed up because they felt the ripples throughout the universe and show up. Now, going back to the weird boys, what Matt's talking about with that collective fungus stuff is that's how orcs work. They don't actually call on the warp. They don't actually use that that chaos energy the weird boys get stronger the more what they call wog energy is in the area so the more 
the the larger the war host, the more powerful they are. And they do things like manifest giant godly feet or teleport units throughout, like from one point to another. Or uh, turn an entire army into squigs. Or turn an entire army into squigs, which they, they have done. Um, and that's why it's also interesting because they think they haven't clarified this, but going back to like the, the orc pantheon, Gork and Mork, the only reason that they believe that they actually exist is because every orc in existence is genetically bred to believe they exist. They There's a theory out there, and it has never been, been clarified by Games Workshop or anybody else that's written about the orcs, that this is how they viewed the old ones and in their de-evolution over time has sort of gotten skewed, but because the WOG energy is so strong, it actually has been able to manifest actual literal gods into existence. And they're not the only race that has done that. The elves also created by the, the old ones did this as well. It just happened to turn into a chaos God because they used warp energy. Orcs are phenomenal for this stuff. Like you can literally do anything you want with them. And they are just at least in 40 K now, to answer the the other part of the question of why didn't they just copy this when Blizzard took over, I want to give a little context to that. We've never really received verification of this, but way back in ye olden days, in the early days of Blizzard, before Blizzard was Blizzard, before Games Workshop was the giant video game monster, it was as well as the tabletop monster, there is a rumor that folks at Blizzard were working on two games with them in mind, particularly Games Workshop in mind. One focusing on the 40K universe, which would then eventually grow on to become StarCraft. And the other one, which would be focusing on Warhammer Fantasy, which would go on to become, well, World of Warcraft. Now, I will point out that I've read a debunking of at least the StarCraft thing, that they didn't even start thinking about StarCraft until after Warcraft. Which is fair. I, I, I don't know. I'm not an expert. I just, I know I've read that. But it's, I'm just saying it's an old school rumor. So when people start looking at the two games, because they are the two giants, they start noticing some similarities. The truth is the people that created the games, both games, play each other's games. They're going to influence each other as they go on. It's just kind of what happens, right? And I'm yeah, probably mean, let Matt talk here for a little bit. The, the thing is, is that while Games Workshop certainly has a very prominent franchise with orcs in it, it's neither the first one. Nor the last. Nor the last one, nor the best known one. Like... If you want to find a place where, where orcs are mentioned the most and most people think about them right now, it would either be Tolkien's the Tolkien movies mm-hmm. or it would be Dungeons and Dragons. Agreed. And that's not this is not me bagging on Games Workshop. It's just they they it until fairly recently, I'd say within the last 10, 10 years, Games Workshop has has been able to leverage the fact that it's incredibly popular with people who design and make video games to get their products into video games. Mm -hmm. But outside of people who have a fair chunk of disposable income and slash, or other hobbies that are not as monetarily consumptive, let's say it is not easy to be a Warhammer 40 K player. Like the, the, the actual tabletop game is not cheap. Uh, You could get the rules for practically nothing. Like, I think sometimes they even give them away, Mm -hmm. but, you want the figures now we're talking an investment uh and this is like even if you didn't paint any of them they'd still be a big deal so 
people didn't necessarily, uh, I'm not saying anyone at Blizzard didn't know about Games Workshop. That's ridiculous. Uh, that is absolutely absurd. Even before when it was Silicon and Synapse, uh, absolutely they knew about uh, Warhammer. And if it turned out that they were in, in-house trying to design a Warhammer game and then pitching it to Games Workshop, I'd absolutely believe you. Like, I, I can certainly see why that might be the case. But all when, I'm saying is that the the two are aware of each other, right? Yeah. Like, we don't have one any confirmation that it was a thing. Yeah. One way or another, they, these the people were aware of each other. But if you're looking at why Blizzard made the choices it made, whether or not you think they, quote unquote, stole them from Games Workshop, obviously the choices they made are, are made towards simplicity because mm-hmm. you were, keep in mind, we didn't. No one designing the original Warcraft was like, okay, and then in year 30 of the franchise, that's not how things work. They were trying to make that game happen. The game that they had on their plate was where their focus was. The orcs in it, they were as they were as vague about it as possible. Because like, you don't, you, there's no purpose to telling people anything about them. You don't want to get too into their backstories or invent places. That can wait until you've got a, got a hit on your hands. And you need places to go and do. If the only time you're ever going to see this game, like, like here's another example. Like one of the most popular tabletop uh, minis type game, a game very similar to, to the way Warcraft played, uh, was actually Dune. Mm-hmm. Dune was like the most popular RTS in the world for a little while. I mean, this is way before other games even came out. And a lot of RTSs to this day are drawing inspiration from it, from Dune. I mean, we all know Dune, right? You know, we know where that comes from. Obviously, the the games that are drawing inspiration from it are not like just saying, "Okay, and now then House Atreides." When they, you know, it's no, but but they're they're still inspired by that thing. But to get back to it, when you're making your game that that you've decided at this point you're going to put out as Warcraft orcs and humans, uh, you don't want the orcs to be too tied to anybody else's ideas. You don't want to worry about like what Tolkien says or what Games Workshop says or what Dungeons and Dragons says, or what, you know, um, Orlando Furioso says, <laughs> you know, the, the old uh, Italian Charlemagnean play that has orcs in it. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to worry about any of this. Yeah, and, you, you don't, you and, just want to have it be as, as useful as possible to the purposes of your game about fighting orcs and humans. And that's where we get the slow evolution from, right? So, like, Orcs and, and Warcraft, and I think we should talk about that a little bit as a comparison point, because I think, one, our listeners are going to be the most familiar with it, but two, I think it's probably the most relevant in these particular circumstances outside of Tolkien. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, probably. It was a slow evolution, and Matt's right. So, when Orcs were first introduced, they were literally this great monstrosity that were fighting against the denizens of Azeroth, uh, or... I don't even think it was called Azeroth back then. I think it was Azeroth was, yeah, I think Azeroth was actually the name of the kingdom, and Lordaeron wasn't even introduced to Warcraft two. Yes, you're correct. Uh, it was Stonewind, and then Stormwind, and like I think it's interchangeable in the first book that they sometimes call it Stonewind and sometimes Stormwind. Like there's Stonewind Pass at one point and so forth. Uh, keep in mind too, this was also when like the games just straight up mentioned God and the Devil. Mm-hmm. Like the first Warcraft game, they just say God and the Devil. They don't say the Light. And, or, you know, Sargeras, they literally just say God and the devil. And they, demons were literally agents of the devil. There's a, there's a yeah. whole there's a whole in between. But as the game started to get more popular and we started to get to a sequel, then the third game, then eventually World of Warcraft, it forced them to sort of flesh out orcs. And you can see that slow evolution. And I'm, I can let Matt talk about that for a little bit. 
Yeah. Um, like for example, when the second Warcraft game comes out, um, I think the first one, the second game is originally Tides of Darkness, and then they have Beyond the Dark Portal, which is the expansion. And Tides of Darkness, you just start seeing more about the orcs. Like you, you learn what what's going on with them in terms of where they come from. Like we didn't know anything about the place they came from in the first game. I don't think it even gets mentioned that it has a name or anything. Uh, in the second game, uh, you know, you, you they start to like talk about where that dark portal. You know, that's how they got here. Here's how what's happening. They've got these boats and they're coming after the humans. The humans fled north to the other king, other human kingdoms. And all that stuff is going on. And you start seeing like the orcs less as just this army of raging monsters and more as this army of raging monsters that actually thinks about what they're doing from time to time. You know, if, if it's not inconvenient. Yeah. Because I mean, correct me uh, if I'm wrong, but they were originally portrayed as like almost like berserker esque, right? Like, yeah, they were, not only were they berserker esque, they kind of still re- like whether or not you think that they were directly related to the Warhammer ones, they retained a little bit of that Warhammer jokiness. Mm-hmm. Cause that's the thing about orcs in Warhammer. They they're kind of they're written as almost Deadpool esque in that they are leaning heavily into their orcishness. Like they're not. It's not literally a parody, but there's an element of you know, blood blood bull man. Are you serious? Blood bull. Come on. <laughs> there's there's a bit of a wink and a nod in the narrative. Not necessarily the orcs themselves, but come on. Some of the names these guys have. The fact that their magic source is called Wog Energy. You know. I mean they're. They're not aware of the joke, but the joke is there. Um, and there was a little bit of that in Warhammer, original Warhammer game. And some of that stuff is retained, like, you know, the whole Zug Zug thing. In Warcraft game, you mean? Yeah, in Warcraft, yes. Uh, but as you go into the second game, and especially the expansion Beyond the Dark Portal, when that expansion comes out, suddenly the script is flipped. Because up to that point, it's been orcs invading Azeroth, Azeroth reacting to orc invasion. And in War- in, in Warcraft Beyond the Dark Portal, Suddenly it's Draenor gets invaded. Orcs are now, you know, having to deal with these, this human and elf and army of, you know, humans, elves and dwarves are just shown up on their planet and invading it. And it kind of like, you now get to see, okay, this is the place these people live. Like one of the greatest things I've ever remember ever looking at was the map in beyond the dark portal of Draenor, because it's just, there's an ocean and here's islands and here's land. And you're like, Oh my, it's a, it's a real place. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a real continent which is and, something that we we guys started to see a little bit more of when we got to uh warlords of draenor mm-hmm. which sort of that map can kind of came back sorry just thought interesting yeah, interjection no it absolutely did um but as that goes on as that's happening i think one of the interesting things about when you sit down to flesh out something is you can go one of two ways uh the way that warhammer went with its orcs was a to lean in on the kind of slightly sillier or goofier elements but also the orcs love being orcs Mm -hmm. orcs in warhammer they're digging it they love this this is absolutely great they could care less that they're they're literally walking on on piles of corpses to get somewhere that's that's wow yeah they're like literally a man of war album cover come to life orcs in in warcraft started out pretty much very similar but as the games went on, especially Warcraft 2 and 3, um, there was a sense of, you know, what if we, what if orcs are an actual people? And, and how would they have gotten this way? How did, you know, how do we explain it? And I, I honestly feel like a lot of times people ignore the fact that this is a game, it's a story in a game, 
And that means that some stuff that you just take as quote unquote lore is actually metaphorical yeah, or allegorical. The whole thing with the orcs drinking demon blood and going out on a rampage, you know, and manipulated into war by, you know, unscrupulous leaders. Look at the game was being made in the late eighties, early nineties. Mm-hmm. You want an example of the entire country being duped into war by unscrupulous leaders there. If you pick one, whether or not it's Vietnam, Granada, uh, the Lebanese destruction of the, of the, the Marine base, there's, you know, desert storm, you know, where, where they, they sat up and just, you know, they saddled up and went yeehaw. And then we, you know, and 10 years it. later, we, 10 years ago, we did it again because we just liked it so much. Uh, there's just a lot of examples of this kind of thing. It, it's a critique of what's actually happening in the world. And Warhammer orcs, are very different because they have a very different purpose and they're not necessarily trying to critique that aspect of a culture because it's not the culture that the people who made the game are from in the first place They're They have their own cultural stuff to talk about and they do. Um, but, but was Warcraft developed and they were trying to make orcs into people um, like you can, you don't even have to look at thrall as a character. If you've ever read Lord of the clans and if you haven't, I, I suggest you highly recommend the book. Christy, Christy Golden goes pretty hard. Um, there's a bit with Orgrim Doomhammer where he's like, you know, talking about his life. And this is a guy who was there for all of it. He was like by the side of, of Blackhand when they invaded. He eventually killed Blackhand and took control uh, of the entire horde by himself. Uh, lost his best friend. Found his best friend's kid. Uh, you know, there's a lot going on in Orgrim Doomhammer. One of my biggest disappointments in uh, Warlords of Draenor was we never got to actually really do much with with Orgrim Doomhammer. Agreed. But this is a guy who he basically says, you know, that I I cannot explain to you how we got from there to here because you look at the the backstory that's created for them. And keep in mind too that that's the thing. A lot of stuff we today look back and say this is the lore of the orcs. A lot of it is what you would call a retcon. Mm-hmm. That's why I hate it when people act like the retcons are dirty words. Sometimes the new stuff is actually better, guys. Some stuff, um, sometimes the new stuff allows you to make sense of the old stuff. Yeah. And I really feel like with what she started in Lord of the Clans and what she continued in Rise of the Horde and what other writers and, you know, in, in the products have brought forth have made the orcs into a much more interesting people. Uh, nomadic people, but they had centers that they nom- they migrated from and to. There's a there's a reason that they didn't care that the Draenei showed up for hundreds of years. That would they like want to live over there on that rock thing? Who cares? We're going to be going from here to there. You know, there were there was no clash of conflicts until the Legion engineered one. And that's the interesting thing about orcs, the way they were and what happened and how they became the way that they are when we finally encounter them. It's understandable. Like initially. One of the things I always do is I feel ba- kind of bad for Nerzul, even as I kind of loathe him, because he did not understand what was happening. Mm-hmm. He thought, everyone told him his whole life that he was the wisest of shamans, the wisest of all the, the, the orcish shaman, and he got fooled. He got fooled by something pretending to be something that he should have absolutely known it wasn't. You know, Someone came to him in the form of his wife telling him things that he'd never heard before from her. And he believed it because he missed his wife so much. And that's like, so relatable. And that's the thing about what wizard, what blizzard did avert wizards, what blizzard did instead of what, you know, games workshop did games workshop, games workshop embraced and went way further 
with the kind of idea of what an orc was. Mm-hmm. The, the Tolkienian stereotype. They took it and they dialed that sucker up to 12. Like they, they are like literally, it's like going to a heavy metal concert and someone starts playing Beethoven's fifth concerto and immediately just goes as hard as they can. And it's just like the thrash metal version of that song. You're like, Oh, whereas Blizzard started off kind of going, yeah, that's really cool. But wait a minute. What, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Yeah. What, and there, what, what and part of that, part of that is very evident. Like the non-war stuff that you see with the orcs in, in uh, Warcraft, right? So like in 40 K, there are no genders for orcs. They they exist by basically shedding spores and and you know breeding asexually. Whereas orcs in Warcraft evolved to have families and care about the 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 fact that they had to raise children and protect their clans and protect their homes. And like to me, the the greatest apotheosis of that, or the greatest the greatest really encapsulation of that is when you get to warlords of Draenor, right? And you start to see some of the motivations behind it. Like you've already, you've always known it to a certain degree because, you know, the orcs talk about it. Drek'thar talks about it. Uh, they're, they're teaching thrall about it, but it's not quite the same until you go and you see it where there are, you know, entire villages, there's elders, there's uh clansmen of all, uh, you know, shapes and sizes. It's not just the men that are warriors. You have, you know, these strong female warriors, and sometimes the men are relegated to uh, protecting the the children and, and things like that. The children are perfectly capable of fighting to a certain extent as well. Like you got, you get to see more of their culture and more of their homes and the places they choose to exist, and that's what really separates them. And that's really why they deviate so much from like, again, what 40 K decided to do and what Warcraft decided to do that, that, that is the huge division point. And Matt's right. Like not to beat a dead horse here or anything like that, but in 40 K they are the comedic relief. They are a one note, uh, adventure. I love that note. And I will, I absolutely like, uh, I've adored it for years, but it is very I flat. I wouldn't say they were one note, but you, you, you've ever heard the expression, the, the, the song, the four pop song cards. Yeah. Where it's like, and almost you can go and take all these different pop songs and they're different songs, but they use the same, like the one, the ones I always remember is don't stop believing, which is dun, 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 dun. But then like, you can go to Jesse's girl, which yep. is a completely different song, but it's still it's, using those four chords. It's the four chords. Yeah. And it, like, yeah. If you ever are curious what we're talking about, I think it's like Rob Hoppin Paranovia, Rob Paranovia, something like that. Uh, Pacabell's Cannon. Yeah, like it's the same yeah. thing, right? Like, <laughs> but please continue. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not a musician, although I was when I was much younger. I did play bass, but Joe is an active musician, so he knows better than me. But my point is just there are only so many ways you're going to go yeah. with orcs. And I, I feel like calling the Warhammer one note is a little too much but they are yeah. definitely they're I'm definitely the, the hardest like if you think of these all these different things as using the same four chords they lean real heavy on that first chord yes it's like they're like a thrash metal song like it's like when you the first time you heard say you know creeping death and you're like what the f is that it's like that that's that's what orcs are like i said they're like a man of war album cover come to life the reason that war warcraft orcs are in some ways more complex but i mean look at their origin remember what joe was talking about the origin of the the orcs in warhammer uh in war in warcraft 
Orcs were created when a cosmic being came to their world, saw that it was going to get destroyed, and so created a gigantic rock monster out of a mountain and set it loose to fight against the, the force that was going to destroy their world. And when it got destroyed, it just broke into smaller but still huge and powerful versions of itself that continued the fight. And when they kept doing that until we get down to orcs. And yeah, for, orcs are actually the gnomes of Draenor. They're the smallest, smartest ones. Yeah, do you want do you want to do you want to clarify that for maybe pe- folks that have missed that up like those episodes? And highly recommend oh, yeah. going back and listening yeah, to them. Covered this already, but uh, my problem is that I'm not going to be able to remember the names. Uh, Agrimar. But basically, you go from uh, Agrimar, the 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 Titan, is the one who finds uh, Draenor while he's on his way looking for Sargeras. He hasn't found Sargeras. He doesn't know where Sargeras is. He's trying to find him because, like, you know, he's my buddy. I got to help him. But he can't find him. Uh, meanwhile, he finds this world, and it's co- co- it's completely surrounded in things that they call they later called the primals. It's like these gigantic sapient plant hive things that are going to de- just devour the whole planet. They're going to eat all the spirit energy th- because they just they don't have anything to tell them to stop. And it's not like since Draenor isn't a titan. It doesn't have a Titan soul inside of it that's taking the spirit energy. So there's just so much of it that this plant life can gorge on it and become hyper aggressive. And he's looking at it going, oh, that's going to be a problem. And the elementals here don't see the problem because they're just, they all get as much spirit as they need. So they're not worried about it. Hmm. All right. I don't have time to stay here and do this myself. I, I got to go find my buddy. So you, you're the biggest mountain. You're alive now. And he infused this mountain with life, and it was named Grand, I believe. I think so. Which is from Tolkien, by the way, but whatever. Uh, and you know, just to point out again, you know, it's it all goes back to Tolkien. Uh, the Grand animated, and with this power given to it by the Titan, goes forth to battle the primal forces, the primals, and does so amazingly well. But eventually, he is destroyed. But destroying him doesn't stop him. It just breaks him into smaller, but still massive pieces. So now instead of one big force that's stomping around the planet, punching primals as much as it can, you now have hundreds of these things walking around, punching as many primals as they can. And they start reproducing. Uh, I don't think the Magnaron actually got killed and turned into things the way Gron did. I think they start reproducing, but they're reproducing into smaller and smaller things as they go. So it's kind of an inversion of the orc thing where the, st- the biggest and, and strongest of the orcs is also the smartest. Uh, in this case, as they're kind of devolving physically into really from things that are made of rock and stone to things made out of flesh, uh, as they do that journey, they get smaller and they get smarter. Like to the point where you have ogres who are basically just their flesh, but they're really big and not that smart. And sometimes they grow a second head that is kind of smart. Um, but it's then they head start arguing with each other. Then you've got orcs who are actually the smallest, possibly the fiercest, but definitely the smartest of all of these creatures. These, these Titan created creatures that have now devolved down to the point where they are these completely flesh and blood beings who are inventive and do a lot of weird stuff with mecha- with, mechani- with mechanisms that other people on the planet don't do. Seriously. They're the gnomes of Draenor. I'm not kidding. Orcs are the gnomes of Draenor. Orcs and gnomes should be fighting, like not orcs and humans. Humans I, are not the orcs. I can't disagree. Humans are like no, are like the ogres of Azeroth. I'm not Charlie. I guess dwarves would be like the no dwarves would be the ogres. Humans would be the ogron. Yeah. Okay, there we, we've worked it. But regardless, that's the thing. It's like it, it's 
it's different, but it is still a, the themes are are there. The themes of of evolution and devolution. The themes of like power versus understanding. The themes of you know you know what relation do you have to the world around you. The themes They're of being, being created for a specific purpose and then evolving and into something else, right? Deviating past it. Because the thing is, is that although you know as humans we don't think of ourselves as created for a specific purpose, in many cases we are. Not maybe not by a god or anything, but your parents have kids. They want certain things from those kids, but you don't grow up to just be whatever your parents wanted you to be. It's impossible. You you can't. You know you know inherently what is you and what isn't. Even if you try to battle it, sometimes that's not going to be what your parents had in mind. So it's an element of real life that is just made more. It's made more powerful by making it more narratively significant, for lack of a better term. It's, it's made front and center. And I think that that's one of the interesting things about orcs because that's the orcs in Tolkien. And going back, I wanted to go back to that Beowulf thing I mentioned. Please. One of the reasons I mentioned it was the translation. I cannot read Old English to save my life, but I'll try. Thanon undras ial on wokon, iotenas on ilf on orkneis, suils gigantes tha. With good wonon, lange prag, ki him dice yan forg ald. And the, the translation that, that John H. Clark did is thence all evil brood were born, ogres and elves and evil spirits. And evil spirits in this is the word orknia, uh, ORC there. Uh, the giants also, who long time fought with God, for which he gave them their reward. And that is basically trying to take the theogony and the gigantomachi from Greek mythology and put it into a Christian framework. Because keep in mind that Beowulf, even though it's a story of a pagan pre-English speaking past, was written by monks. You know, it was written down by monks in like the fourth or fifth century. These these were Christian men who wrote the thing down. They don't we don't know where it came from. We don't know if the original Beowulf story came from like, you know, the Geats. If it came over from Frisia, we don't know. We, there's so much we don't know. But look at that line that the, all these these evil things fought with God for which he gave them their reward. The entire idea is that they they one time were so powerful that they could battle the heavens. Mm-hmm. And now they're down in the mud, living in swamps. Even like even Grendel and his mom, you know, who's really, it's amazing to me that there's no name for her. Just Grendel's mom. I'm sure there probably is somewhere, but I, I, don't. I just find that really interesting because it is the same theme we're talking about with Tolkien. It's the same theme we're talking about with Warhammer. And we didn't even talk about D&D orcs and the whole Groomsh thing, uh, which they're currently in the midst of trying to renegotiate, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting. And, you know, good luck to you. But there is, yeah, there's a lot to this whole thing. And the reason that you don't see... Like the reason that Blizzard's orcs and Warhammer 40k's orcs or Warhammer fantasy orcs aren't the same is multifaceted. I think we've talked about a lot of it. But one of the things is in order for them to serve the needs of the stories and and things they're part of, the, the orcs in Warhammer and Warhammer 40k are perfect at what they do. If you want a sinister plot by a cunning Machiavellian race that's going to like overthrow the established order and destroy the Imperium and, you know, th- we got those, we got the Tyranids, we got the Necrons. We- we've got even the dark Eldar to a degree. We've got people who can do that. You don't want the orcs for that. You want the orcs when it's just, what could be the worst possible thing that could happen right now? Oh, there they are. You know, that's like, like it's, I-, I can honestly imagine Warhammer 
orcs as seriously being like, you know, waiting outside a door patiently until someone said, man, I hope some orcs don't come in here. And then immediately busting in through the door going, we're here and just start smashing everything. Orcs are the ultimate complication. If you have to go on a mission somewhere and, and find some device uh, that will help the Imperium, guarantee you there are orcs in your way. That's that, and they might even be drinking out of it. Like you know, you have no idea. Maybe they're peeing in it. You don't know with orcs. They could be doing any sort of thing. And, it, and like Joe talked about before, orcs can be anything, and that means orcs are perfect for. Okay, I need a problem right here. Like there's literally a story, and there's a whole game based around this from the '90s, where orcs on a planet completely separated from everything else, with no way or no way to get anywhere else, instead of fighting, just decided to become wacky racers. Like they literally just decided to turn the entire planet into a giant racetrack and just compete against each other in racing while also flinging each other, like their, their crew at the other vehicles to try to knock them off. Because again, this proud warrior race, nah, ain't about that. Like they're, they're completely unpredictable and that's what makes them great. Whereas now when you start moving into some of the others, like Tolkien orcs are very predictable, right? You know what they're about. They're sort of they're they're on brand. They have their thing. Even they're literally just like a human siege engines, yeah. or humanoid siege engines. They're More there to, to make war, and yeah. that's it. And then you have the the orcs in Warcraft, which are that's how they originally started. They originally started as like these um, these monstrous creatures that were you know berserkers from another dimension that are just here to do nothing but just destroy. And now they have hopes and they have dreams and you have players who are playing as orcs and you have your own headcanon about your orc. You have your own idea of why your orc does what it does. If you are into the, if you're listening to this podcast, almost guaranteed you do. Um, but it evolved so much more so that they're not a foil anymore. They're not, they've evolved past that sort of simplicity and the orcs of tomorrow might change and be ever different. And again, I'll keep, I keep going back to Warlords of Draenor. Like, Warlords of Draenor is a perfect encapsulation of that evolution of orcs. It shows you everything you need to know about orcs and what they can become. And it's fascinating because orcs, just like all the other races on in World of Warcraft, are limitless. They're not shoehorned. They don't have to be. And well, that's I mean, really plus- good. That's the thing that people keep forgetting is that, again, it's a retcon from the original games, but the reason that the orcs were selected as the weapon against the Draenei is that they could do it. Mm-hmm. Like the, Keep in mind that the reason so often the Draenei just lit out the second anything looked bad. The, the Legion had been trying to kill them for like untold thousands of years at this point and finally found the people that the drain, I wouldn't immediately realize just how bad the situation was. And then by the time they did, it would be too late. They couldn't get away at that point. And it was because the orcs actually had the capacity to do it. It orcish defeat on Azeroth wasn't preordained. Mm-hmm. Like the orcs, it's quite possible. The orcs could have won and could have just become the, the new dominant species on Azeroth. There's, there's no reason that they couldn't. They just didn't partially because of themselves. You know, because they they weren't fully into it. And that's the interesting thing about them. If you go back and look at it, it's like even before we had all the sources telling us things, even in Warcraft 2, there's orcs who weren't really into it. There's there's Orgrim, who, who's going to he's going to win the war because he's not going to let his people die. But he's not completely happy about what the the Shadow Council has gotten his people into. 
You know, he, and he knows these people are not going to be as easy to beat as you think they are. It took us years to just get this one city down. Now we find out they have a whole bunch more up there. You know, this is not going to be what you think it's going to be. And that's why he was desperate enough to take Gul'dan's help. He needed Gul'dan. He couldn't just kill him. He wanted to, but if he did, then he might as well just turn his people around and go back to the dark portal to the world that was dying behind them. You know, that's the thing is the, the orcs basically did not have anywhere to go. Uh, and th- the entire thing about Tides of Darkness is, about, I mean, Tides of Darkness and then, you know, through the Dark Portal. Through the Dark Portal is all about the fact that, that Draenor is dying. The world will not sustain them. They, they have to leave it. Mm-hmm. When they go back, it's like, I'll make lots more portals and we'll find some other world to go to. That was Nurzel's go-to plan. That was the only thing he could think of. Like, um, we'll just go to somewhere else because the planet was dying. There wasn't any saving it. So, yeah, there's a lot of substance to the, the orcish character in Warcraft versus Warhammer because it's the difference between uh, Falstaff in most of the, the Henry plays and Falstaff's death in the Henry plays where you have Falstaff as this big, boisterous, somewhat comic figure versus the tragic figure he is in the next play. You know, in Henry the the Fifth, Falstaff is a tragic figure. And you'll barely even see him. He just he, he appears in a flashback. But there's a big difference, even though it's basically the same character. Uh, orcs are orcs, but an orc can be a lot of different kinds of orcs. Yeah, which is one of the joys of them. It's why I really like orcs in general. I always have as just a a fantasy race, as a or a science fiction race, as just a race in literary terms, because. And- yeah, go ahead. No, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, don't think that just because your favorite game franchise doesn't have orcs in it, that doesn't have orcs in it. Uh, Dragon Age totally has, has orcs. orcs. They just call them Dragon's Darkspawn. They're absolutely orcs. They they are fulfilling the orc role in that world. Um, I'm trying to think of like another one, but most of them would just just straight up have them called orcs, <laughs> you know. But um, any game that's got like a big brutish like monster race that you can play as pretty much has orcs, even if they call them something completely different. Uh, like um, Skyrim straight up has orcs. So the Elder Scrolls games just straight up took orcs, just uses orcs like they do elves and everything else. Uh, it's just, it's one of those things that really, they're very useful for a wide variety of things. They can go, they can run the gamut from absolutely irredeemable monsters as part of this horrible destructive force to, just you know the Klingons of the setting. Well, I mean, look in at, fact, look Star at, look, Wars has orcs. They're just called Klingons. Mass Effect. What do you think Krogan are? Yeah, they're just they're reptilier. They're they're a little um, more reptile, but they're bred they're bred and educated in a tank for warfare. Doctor Who has orcs. They literally have vat grown soldiers, uh, and I can't remember the name of the race off the top of my head. But they're all they they're they're all Satarans. Yeah, Satarans. Thank you. Like yeah, they're Sontarans orcs. Are very similar. Yeah. They are very much orcs. Like they're just called something different, but like that, that sort of existence is everywhere. And we could talk about this for more. And I, I really wanted to get to the meat of, of Korn's question today. Cause I thought it was a really fun topic to explore a little bit more of the 40 K orcs and also kind of explain the differences between them and world of Warcraft and why the two aren't more similar. Um, because when people, and this is an outsider perspective thing. If you explain to somebody orcs in D and D and then orcs in Warcraft and then orcs in, uh, 40k, they're all wildly different, but they're all still orcs and they mm-hmm. all still adhere to the pillars of orcdom, right? It's just different, different ends of the spectrum, which I think it's is just, absolutely you, fascinating. It's kind of like to me, it would almost think like imagine if you have very different like art 
of the same structure. Mm -hmm. Like this, this, we've got this picture of an elephant. Uh, this picture of an elephant was drawn by a pointillist. This one was drawn by like, you know, Salvador Dali. This one was, was drawn by a bunch of blind people who just stood around describing it. Uh, this one was drawn by, uh, you know, Gary Larson. They, they're very different looking, but they're all they're also the same. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's very similar to that. Yeah. But I think, I think that's going to do it for today. Unless there's any other parting thoughts you want to give. Um, that we didn't talk at all about, um, uh, about the, Shadowrun games, and I feel like wow, we we should have, but you know, we, maybe we some other time. Yeah, there's a we're gonna get into a, a probably a fantasy race discussion. I think at some point where we also talk about how fantasy races differ in things like Shadowrun. Uh, let us know if that's actually something you want us to go into. We tend to try to pick off-topic uh, shows very carefully. Uh, and hopefully this one is maybe 50, 50 mix. I think it was, you know, it was a good mix. We got some more hammer. In there. We, got, we got some more. We got, in there, yeah. So. Um, but let us know. And if you do have suggestions for our podcast or any of our podcasts, like Diablo, maybe guys, hint, hint, hint. I hear, I hear a new Diablo games coming out perhaps. Uh, yes. <laughs> but blizzard watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzard watch your continued support means that this site community and podcast is able to thrive and grow blizzard watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the q and ads free site experience again send those questions or topics in you can send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com just let us know what show it's for uh, you can also hit us up on Discord server. We have two channels set aside for it. One for our Patreon subscribers as a way of saying thank you, where we tend to look first for these things, uh, which is the Patreon Q and Podcast Questions channel. Uh, and then we also have the Q and Podcast Questions channel set aside for non-Patreon supporters. And again, we understand if you can't support us monetarily, totally get it. But we do ask that you either give us a review if it's on one of the sites that hosts us that can have a review, give us a star rating, share us with your friends, anything you can do to help us sort of get that attention, believe it or not, helps incredibly. Like, I, I cannot understate or I cannot overstate how important it is uh, for that to continue to happen and how appreciative we are when you do that for us. Yes, do it, please. <laughs> but with that, folks, we'll see you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.